My special guest today is a terrific actor who was a welcome presence in the bill for 13 years, playing one of the longest-serving sergeants. He's also an acclaimed author, playwright and drama teacher, and I've wanted to meet him for years. Steve Morley, welcome to the Bill Podcast. Hello, hello everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this and must say a big thanks to Larry Dan for kindly putting us in touch. Is it fair to say that this was a bit of a surprise for you and you were you were quite modest thinking people wouldn't want to hear about your stories? I don't really have, I don't think I've got that many stories <laughs> and yeah, people say it was a long, a long time, 13 years is a long time and it? yeah, if you're doing it full time, fantastic. But if you think, well, I did 52 episodes of Sergeant Lamont over that time. And one episode, the very first episode I did on the bill was as a protester, in a, <laughs> an anti-fur trade protester, which we filmed on Brick Lane. And that was my introduction to the bill when it was first filmed down at Queen Elizabeth Dock. I remember Eric Richards was in that episode and I called him a bastard. And whenever I see him, I repeat the line. <laughs> um, then I went and uh, did the old audition for the, for the sergeant and they gave, they gave me that job. And, and I did that for a few episodes. It started off quite... Quite well, the relief sergeant. So obviously the build takes place over, it just focuses on one shift in a police station and there are, you know, there's more than one shift in a day. And so whenever the storyline started off in the previous shift or went into the next shift and there was any scene in the custody suite, then that, that's when they brought me in. And so I, d I did a few episodes and it all dried up. Suddenly I find myself married with a kid and, and living in Sutton, which is not far then. They'd moved then, hadn't they, from uh, they went Quindles yeah. Dot, they went to Barby Road, so I worked there. Met a good few mates, so people I played cricket with. Great stuff. As I say, it all dried up, and then they moved down to um, South Wimbledon, and I was living in Sutton. And this pal of mine, who I knew from when I used to live around Hampstead, the first assistant director called Mike Purcell. The English called him Purcell, but his, his Irish pronunciation is Purcell. <laughs> so Mike and I mutually for years but he'd, he'd gone back to Ireland and but his brother was working on the bill as a first assistant and um, he had an interview and he sort of rang me up and picked my brains and, and I said well where are you going to stay when you get here and he said well I, I, I said well, we've got a spare room so he said great I, I, I said yeah come and stay with us so he, he came and stayed with us he had the interview got the job and he, he just stayed with us and uh, we, we looked after him and and then one day he comes back and he said, no, he said, we're doing this, we're preparing this episode, preparing this episode, Steve. <laughs> and he said, no, somebody mentioned your name. He said, the storyline's gone into the next shift. And he said, oh, well, there's two sergeants, this so-and-so does that. And then there's Steve Morley who plays Lamont. He said, I'm living with him. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, they got me in and, I, and suddenly I was back in it. Yeah, yeah. And then it went on for another few years, you know. Yeah. And then, as you say, there were... The 13 years, there were, if you include the first one, there were 53 episodes. You know, occasionally they they were quite meaty. And mm. uh, most of the time it was just, get in that cell, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. And somebody told me once I locked up somebody very famous. Danny Webb, you lock up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you've got Patrick Murray of Only Fools and Horses fame. You, uh, Did you I have look some great, yeah, you've got some great banter with him. Yeah, Patrick Murray calls you a snot ball. Oh, him? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice lad. Well, yeah, yeah, I've got a few clips to show you later. But first off, I mean, let's talk about where we are now in a very exciting building and talk about what you're doing now. Well, I, um, I started off as a teacher 
back in the early 70s, I went to teach training college before I thought about being an actor. I can imagine being a professional actor. And um, my tutor at the teacher training college in Northampton, um, who was an ex RADA man himself, um, had wonderful stories. Great old boy. He just said to me after the first year, he said, look, you're wasting your time here. You should be off being a professional actor. And so I took a year out and did all kinds of jobs. Uh, chicken slaughtering, that was a good one. Do you know, one day, this has got nothing to do with anything, but one day we, me and this other guy, we, we slaughtered 64,000 chickens in one day, the two of us. And I did more than him, so I got, I got the, they call me Claudius because he murdered most fowl. <laughs> See, so, um, yeah, I did chicken slaughtering. Um, we, I got a play out, a good play came out of that, and a short story. And all sorts of other things which I always used material for the stuff I wrote. So lots of different jobs. And then I auditioned for Central School and got in straight away. I gobsmacked. You know, so that was it. I went to Central and did the first term and wanted to leave, hated it. My mum persuaded, no, give it the year, give it the year. So I ended up just staying for the three years and what did you hate about it well i come from teaching right now i'm not saying this is what central is like now mm. I mean, you know central's um, become university accredited and everything and, and there, were, there were certain teachers at the school at that time not all of them by any means but there were one or two that really were not teachers i was kind of one of those questioning people and wanted to know why we were doing what we were doing yeah you know what was the purpose of this exercise and some of them couldn't tell me so um we didn't get on mm. But apart from that, you know, I, I, I got involved with it and, and one of the students there was Carrie Fisher oh, on, wow. on my year group, whom I was very, very fond of. I thought the world of Carrie, she, looked, um, she was absolutely gorgeous and, you know, sadly passed away a year ago, which wasn't surprising to me, knowing mm. her as well as I did. Um, it was only surprising that she didn't, it didn't happen a lot earlier, to be mm. honest, but mm. she, um, I, I was very, very fond of her. Wonderful singer. People don't know that about Carrie. She oh, was wow. Real Joan Baez. She's she sit at the piano and, and lovely voice. So uh, anyway, yeah, that, so that was that was drama school. And then um, did rep for a while with Oxford Playhouse for five months. Got my equity card, as you had to do in those days. <laughs> and, um, and then fell on my feet with a role in, in a play called Equus. Um, played a lead role in Equus, which um, opened a lot of doors for me and got me into telly. So I started off with um, an episode of Hazel, mm-hmm. if you remember Nicholas Ball in Hazel, and, and then did the Armchair Thriller series and, and lots of other things. And, and mainly it was telly from then on. Yeah. I did very little theatre after that. But I always kept up the teaching. Right. Um, that was always a, a second fiddle there. So I worked in a lot of drama schools, helped start off one particular drama school. Then eventually, when I when I was married, my wife, my ex-wife, she was pregnant and had to go on maternity leave. So I took over her job, and then I got a reputation for taking over. You know, a lot of drama teachers go mad or get drunk or something, so they need replacing <laughs> for short times while they detox. Um, so I, I was doing that for a while, and then one of these schools offered me a full-time job, and I thought, well, two years, pay the debts off, um, stop the child from eating the furniture. Um, <laughs> And then, um, and then I can go back into it, and that was uh, twenty-four years ago. Right. So, um, so I went from that school, and where we are now, to a long-winded answer to your question, <laughs> to where we are now is in the Barbican, where I work at the City of London School for Girls, and I've been here eighteen years, and it's yeah, great setting. Yeah, you know, we've just had a tour of it, and you, you have a bit of a history lesson. Yeah, it's magic. 
and some great kids. And I, you know, I've honestly got to say the best student drama I've ever seen anywhere has been in my little studio that I have here when they do their examination work and some of the other stuff. And we're taking stuff out to festivals first time this year. Oh, brilliant! Going to the International Youth Arts Festival in Kingston in July. A show I've commissioned that we're going to take out there. And we do a lot of stuff. You know, small department within the school, but we do an awful lot of stuff. And we've got some good people have, have left here mm. to um, become professional actors. Not many, but, but but one or two have done really well. So that's where we are. Barbican, lovely Barbican, in the city of London. And it gives you a a buzz when when you, you're working with these young talent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's. It's not. I'm not training them to be actors. You know, all the Key Stage Three teaching I do. That, that's um, years seven, eight, nine. You know, the parents worry that you're trying to teach them to be actors, and you're not. It's communication skills because everybody has to communicate, mm. and and that's I use acting exercises to teach them to let them explore how they communicate, how they use their voice and their body, their gestures, their facial expressions in order to communicate, so that they're aware of how they're coming across to people. Because we've all got to do that, and some people are very bad at it, and so it's, it's very, very rewarding. And, and I'm, I know the kids appreciate it, so we, we do some good stuff. You've written ten novels. Yeah, ten books altogether. If you in, if you include the, uh, the the social club rules, I just rewrote for my local social club. So <laughs> so nine. Yeah, yeah, really nine nine books. The first one was many years ago. I was working. Um, I was living in, in Belsize Park and I, and I joined this pub cricket team. I got asked to do a cricket match when I was working on Emmerdale. Uh, this pal of mine said, it's a charity match. I said, well, I don't know anything about cricket. You know? And he said, oh, don't worry, just, we'll put you out on the boundary. And So that was exactly what they did. And they, some idiot hit this ball right towards me. And I stood on the boundary and caught it one-handed before it went for six. Wow. And I thought, this is fantastic. <laughs> you know, I'm so cool. I can do this. And about six hours later, another ball came zooming up towards me. Except it was dropping short. So I did one of those chariots of fire <laughs> runs towards it and a great dive and landed on my shoulder and broke my collarbone. Oh, no. And that was, and so, but when all that recovered, that's in the middle of Emmerdale. And because and the next scene I had in Emmerdale was, I, I had this romantic scene with young Sandy. And we were sitting in the front seat of the car, snogging. Yeah, I've seen um, the clip. You've seen the clip yeah, of it? Yeah, really right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, and, and we sit, and of course I've got my arm in a sling, and we had to take uh, the sling off, and <laughs> I had to somehow manipulate this arm around her yeah. in order to do it. She was great, you know, she kept away from me as much as possible, except <laughs> for when we kept to do the kissing. And I was in absolute agony. And um, anyway, it was shown about six weeks later, and I'm in a post office queue in Bradford, <laughs> And this old lady taps me on the shoulder and she said, I saw you in Emmerdale last night. And I've got to say that, that look on your face when you were kissing Sandy. Oh, my goodness. It was the most romantic look since Valentino. <laughs> so, yeah, pain. Yeah. yeah just, just pain. <laughs> so playing cricket. Then. So I got into cricket then. I thought, well, so um, I started playing pub cricket for the Washington in, in um, Belsize Park. I, I suddenly started um, writing little stories about, just, just as a Mickey take and, and some of the people in the pub. There was this guy got arrested. He got he was he was a pop group manager. Some, I think it was Mungo Jerry's pop at one time. You know, he was Harry Simmons. He was he was a character. And um, anyway, he ended up in jail because he had, he had too many drugs about his person, which he protested was for his, his 
pop people. <laughs> <laughs> so his girlfriend said, would you write something, write a story? So I wrote this story about the people in the pub. And then some guy comes up to me, I don't know from Adam, and says, oh, you're, you're the writer. So I laughed a lot. You know, what do you mean? And he said, well, I, I have a magazine called The Club Cricketer. Would you do some stories for us? And I said, oh, yeah. I said, well, he said, we'll pay you. I said, oh, yes, definitely. You know? <laughs> yeah. So um, I said, can I do what I want? He said, yes. So I wrote about this drunken cricket team, which is based on the team that I played for. So there were these funny stories about this pub team. and all, There were all letters that were being written to this um, guy called Lucky, who was obviously the unluckiest man in the world. Everything <laughs> that could have gone wrong with him went wrong. He was in hospital. And so this character in the pub was writing these letters saying that they'd revamped this cricket team. So it was, a, it was a book about a drunken cricket team. It was a time, it was 1986, when the Australians were over. There was an Ashes tour. And in that pub in the Washington, they, they had some four ex-castle men. It was one of their flagship pubs, and they were doing some kind of promotion for it. And a lot of the Australian team were there one evening after they'd been playing cricket, poor things. So it was a big event. and the, So I was, in, I was in the pub, and I was introduced to Matthew Engel, a writer for The Guardian, and he's still writing. He writes for The New Statesman at the moment. So I was introduced to Matthew, and, and he went, oh, you're the guy who's writing all those stories in the club cricketer. He said, he said take my advice, you should get them published. And I went, well, I don't have a clue how to do that. And he said, oh, you, he said, he said I'll, I'll introduce you to my agent. I'll give you that intro. Went, Fine. He said, well, what you really need now is, because it's about a drunken cricket team, you need a famous drunken cricketer to do the forward for you. And I, thought, I said, well, I don't know. And he said, there's one sitting around the corner. No. And around the corner was sitting Colin Milburn, who used to play for England. He liked his booze, did <laughs> Ollie Milburn, that we, we knew him as. And um, so he introduced me, and I got to know him, and he did the forward for the book. And Ollie Milburn famously lost an eye. He had a car crash. And he was drunk as a lord in Northampton, and he had a car crash and, and lost an eye. But he still played cricket. Wow. And Brian Johnson said that the most eeriest thing he'd ever seen in his life was, was Colin Milburn's scoring a double century in, in Australia against the likes of Lily and Bizarre Ghostly. But he was a great bloke to know, and I, I got to know him very well. And he did that, and Matthew and published the book Wow! Um, through the agent. And we, we got it all sorted out, and that was it. And, and then they said, have you got anything else? And the editor moved to Weidenfeld and Nicholson, which is another big publishing house. And so they published a second book, which was um, about a drunken actor called Screen Test, these have all been remained years ago, you know, but they still you still get them on, on Amazon, and they're yeah. good fun. The actor one is full of old stories about when I was doing stuff like um, the um, Armchair Thriller series. Yeah. So there's stuff based on that, there's little stories in that, and about when I was at drama school, and about this actor going into the business and finding fame a little bit difficult to handle. As some, as some not a lot of actors do, a lot of actors are not easy with all that, that, that attention that they get. Um, unwarranted attention. I've been beaten up four times. I've been attacked four times because of things I did on the telly. No. Yeah, once quite badly. Usually idiots. Um, I mean, some quite funny. I was, I was in a club in Bradford, a uh, working man's club in Bradford, and some woman came up to me. And I'm just sitting, minding my own business, quiet place, half empty, and she comes up and said, they, they tell me you're on the bill. And I went, yeah, well, you blink and you miss me, don't, don't worry about it. She said, you're a liar. And she hit me so hard across the face, she knocked me off my stool. No way. And then these three guys came running across the, the bar towards me. I thought, oh, here we go. So I picked up a stool <laughs> to defend myself. And they stopped, going, no, 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 no. And they grabbed her and thrown her out. <laughs> 
I, I once had six guys on top of me in a, in a pub in Swiss Cottage. Again, because of something that I, I, I was... And, and the funniest one was Menace Unseen. <laughs> when they've shown the first episode, the Menace I've seen, where, where we drive off with the girl we've kidnapped yeah. and she's under the dashboard. And I kind of put my foot on her under the dashboard or something. So I get to the, the following morning. I'm in a greengrocer's shop in, in West Hampstead. And I'm queuing up behind this old lady, and this old lady turns around, sees me, and she goes, "It's him! It's him! It's that nonce! It's Tibble! I know you!" Yeah, well, whatever his name was, Trace wasn't Len Trace or something. It's him, and she starts, and she starts having a go, and she's got her, her umbrella, and she starts hitting me with the umbrella. She's calling me a child molester, no. and and I picked up a cucumber, and I started fencing her with this cucumber to fend her off, and the greengrocer's a big fella, he's got, he's got what's it? Nonsense! And he starts coming around. I thought, oh, here we go. So I've legged it. <laughs> and I'm running up West End Lane with his cucumber in my hand. I've nicked his cucumber. <laughs> so, and, but it, bizarre, you know, you, yeah. that, that some people, I mean, I, you know, other time pe people calling you a liar that you're not on the telly and, and you, you're just minding your own business and wanting yeah. a quiet life. And, although I did get attacked by a nun in Dublin once <laughs> when I was doing Equus. In, at the gate in Dublin, and this nun jumped out like a little rabid penguin. She was. <laughs> she jumped out of this alley and grabbed, dug her fingernails into my arm and, and said, "I saw you in that clear last night." And I went, "Just to know, I'm praying for you." <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, books. It's gold uh, that's the stories, isn't it? I mean, that's just magic. The, then, I, then, the, then the, I wrote this book about a drunken pig. There's a theme here. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw this story in the new. Great little news stories you can get ideas from, and, and it was, a, it was a, a pig that had got drunk by eating apples. It eaten all these rotting apples, and they must have been fermenting, turning it cider <laughs> in his stomach. And he got drunk and went on the rampage in some town in Australia, and, and that was a basis for this this book called The Miracle of Snacket. Oh, great title. Uh, on, <laughs> I've seen it on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. It's on Amazon. It's, it's an e-book on, on Amazon. Although there are some published book copies still around if you're really lucky to find them. <laughs> I, I, there was a book about a, a fight director called A Nap, which I, I'm really proud of, that one, actually. That's an e-book, and I'm, I'm, I'm really, really proud of that. Although it's probably the most difficult. It's the one that most people don't like. But right. I, I love it the best for various reasons. And there's a book of short stories, Shepperton, which is the most recent one. That's And, and that was all about my commute here to the Barbican. And what I was doing was I get on the train where I live, and which is on the Shepperton line. I was just getting bored mm. to death, and and I just you know if you if you're an actor, you're an artist of any sort, really, you've got to be a people watcher. And I just started watching these people and making up little stories about people on the train. <laughs> so I made up a story for somebody on the train, whoever it was. But it was there's a story for every station on the line, for, so right. somebody gets on in every station down in, in from Shepperton into Waterloo. And then I, I kind of done that, and I was into it, so I did another story for everybody in the line going back. <laughs> in the so there's about there's thirty odd stories there that you know. Again, I'm quite proud of a lot of them. And then there were the plays. So I've I've always tinkered around with, with, with writing plays, and and the first one that was that almost got to the West End. It was we, we did some readings in the West End, and it was very nearly West End play. Um, was the the miracle of Snacket, which Larry Dan yeah, came to see. We did a reading in a fringe theatre, and he came to Larry came to see it, and um, uh, as did Ian Cullen. Ian Cullen, Ian wanted to, both of them wanted to play that role. Yeah, um, 
Larry said, no, I'll do it. That part was written for me. And Larry was brilliant in, in rehearsal with those younger actors and really all that experience that he, he, in rehearsal, you know, he'd be the one that was washing up and making the tea and helping everybody and cleaning up after everybody was word perfect mm. and showing some of the younger actors really some, you know, you have to be professional. Mm. So there's a collection of plays and then I wrote some plays for kids called the Nutting Plays and the Farmhouse Plays. So they've been done in schools around the place and... Um, one of them, a teacher that I've just been working with, just made a little film last week um, down on the Solent. So he's a great champion of my plays, and he's put uh, some of them on YouTube. Ah, oh, great. Um, what his kids did. Yeah, so the writing continues. I'm writing a lot of songs at the moment, or lyrics, oh, yeah. because uh, my son's a fine musician. In fact, that's what we were doing down on the Solent, was making a pop video for him. Um, so, and that went on YouTube a couple of days ago. Uh, Max Morley doing his... Uh, Pink Floyd bit on oh, his lead guitar. Really? It, it really pleased me. 15 years old and playing Dave Gilmore covers. Fantastic. Oh, I love it. Well, yeah. That's the amazing thing now with technology, isn't it? You, I mean, I'm envious. I mean, if I was here now, the 15, 16 year old inside me is loving this school and the facilities. That's and fantastic. There were kids wandering around just before you got here. There were kids wandering around with, with cameras filming little projects that they're doing, you know, yeah. stuff that they're taking to a an RE lesson or whatever and, and oh. to, to illustrate things. I don't actually use it a lot in drama, funnily enough. We're too busy doing it. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but uh, but we obviously film everything that we, we produce. Yeah. So the kids have a record of that. A television institution that fans make their own uh, short stories for today and is, is massively popular, which you're part of, is Doctor Who. Is that a nice feeling, being part of something so well-loved? Well, it... it it first came to me that, that it was like that when my oldest son and I were out in Plangothlan because a great friend of mine used to live there, and we were a bit early and he was still at work, so we, we went to the Doctor Who Museum. Now, that was the period when Doctor Who wasn't on the TV, so he didn't had no idea what Doctor Who was. He was only little, he was about six or something. So we went into this museum to spend some time, and he was getting quite freaked out by it all. Mm. not knowing what it was about and so I said well come on we'll go to the shop I said because I was in an episode of this and so I tried to explain to him what it was all about and there was a like a library of, of videos in the shop and I said go on go see if you can find this episode we'll buy it because it'd be nice to see it and so he went looking for it I was just looking around they used to have model trains there I was looking at all these model trains mm. and um, some American guy was talking to the guy behind the counter saying that he, he was looking for a good Cyberman episode and could he recommend one and this guy behind the counter said oh well look the best one's Earthshock <laughs> you, you like that that's a bet the best one is Earthshock and um, my lads overheard this and he said he's gone Earthshock my dad's in that <laughs> and this guy's looked at me and, and he said what you in Earthshock and I went I said oh yeah it was a long time ago and I put a bit of weight on since then I said you won't really recognise me and, and, and he said no you weren't in Earthshock <laughs> I said, I said, well, I, I said, I was, yeah. He said, would you play in Earthshock? And I said, it was a character called Walters. And he, he went, um, oh, yeah, it's you, isn't it? <laughs> it was you, you were, hey, lads. And he's called everybody in from the show. He's in Earth, it's Walters <laughs> Earthshock. And I, I couldn't get over how, how excited like, starstruck that they were over the, yeah. something that I did a morning's work on, literally. Mm. I was. I just did a couple of hours. Loads of stories about it, which I've told on the yeah on the Phantom Films commentary. Who talk, which is worth a purchase. Did some good stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, 
I, I, thank you, Alex Wheel, the cameraman, for pulling me off the director. Yeah. Day. He's going over the edge of that quarry. <laughs> well, I mean, 1982 was a very busy year for you with television, because you did your, your stint in Emmerdale as well, where you were like a James Herriot vet, weren't you? you? You came in and out for like two or three months, wasn't it? About three months of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The romantic interest. Yeah. Um, they had me stuffing cows and picking up piglets. And Yeah, I've seen the piglets. They're really loud, aren't they? And you're, you've got your dialogue still at the top of these very loud piglets wriggling. Well, it's a, it a good story because um, the actress who played uh, Sandy Merrick in it. Yeah, Ruth Hutchinson. We got to this location and I knew there was something going on because you, you just sense that there's something happening with little looks and people looking away and what. I mean, I thought... And he was just coming up to lunch, and, and the idea was that I walked into this, this shed with her, and there's all these pigs in this pen. And within the dialogue, I had to bend down and pick up an, a, a piglet. Now, these were pretty newly born piglets, a few days old, so quite tiny. And so I had to pick one of these up and, and, and continue talking to her. I thought, oh, I've been set up, there's some, something going on. So anyway, they called lunch, and everybody goes off to lunch, and... I stayed behind and I found the farmer and I said, I said, look, I've got, this is what I've got to do here. Do it. Is there anything I need to know what I should be doing? And he went, oh God, yes. He said, you don't do this properly, lad. I'll tell you. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you, 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 and he showed me how you actually pick up a, a piglet because they, if they don't, if they're not warm, mm. they're, they're terrified. Oh. So you see them snuggling up under a very warm lamp. Right. They turn the lamp off and that means they're going to go to mummy and feed. And then they turn the lamp on again, and, they, and they, they, when they've had enough, they go, they go back and, and under the warmth of the lamp. So if they, if they don't get the warmth, they, 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 they're going to scream. Have you heard a piglet scream? They yeah. scream the place down. They're, they're, it's hideous. So you have to pick them up properly. So you, effectively what you do is you, you, you pick them up as quick as you can by the back legs. You put the little head between your two middle fingers, the two front trotters between the two outside fingers, and the back legs over your wrist, and then you hold them to your chest for the warmth. Wow. So it's quite a knack to it. Yeah. So I spent the time then rehearsing this and working out exactly how you did and so I had it dead right. Because they knew that's what happened and they expected me to pick this piglet up and he was going to scream the place down and completely throw me and that's what I was being set up to do. So when we came to film it, they just said, oh no, we won't do any rehearsal, let's just film it. So they yeah, went for the take. Yeah. <laughs> Real surprise to her. She she looks at me, pick this piglet up perfectly, hold it like yeah. that and, so, and she went, oh, <laughs> I said, yeah, they're lovely. Yeah, you have it. And I gave it. I stream the place down. Uh, thank you very much. So, yeah, yeah, busy year. Yeah, it was, because you also had... Uh, I remember Nelson, you and Phil Daniels on a cannons going off and all sorts. And you're writing letters home, and uh, that was a big-budget affair. It was very big, but they, they spent a million quid on the set. Wow. Back in those days, and, and so I was told. And it was a, an exact reproduction of the lower gun deck of HMS Victory. We fought, effectively fought the Battle of Trafalgar. So we spent two or three weeks learning how to fire cannons. And so we had all that right. Yeah, Phil Daniels was in it. It was a series called I Remember Nelson. Mm. It was four episodes, and each episode was taken from a different perspective of someone who knew Nelson. This was obviously the final episode where he's killed. And Nelson was played by Ken Colley, whom I'd worked with before. I, I, I knew Ken uh, from other things, and, and also... Tim Pickett-Smith was in it, mm. and I'd done a big costume drama at the BBC with Tim, bless him. Uh, Bradford actor called Ken Kitson, 
mm. and Ken had worked with on the old Chesterfield thing. So it was lovely. There were lots of people we knew, and they, they actually showed us when these cannons were, you know, the broadside was going to go off. They said, well, we'll show you how these cannons work. And so they, were, they weren't real cannons. They were made out of fiberglass, and, and they put a little bit of gunpowder in the back, and that would flash when it was electrically, there was an electrical current pass through it charged. And the cannons were on aircraft elastic, which pulled them back at the yeah. same time to make them look like the recoil. So with all the sound effects, it looked pretty good. So we were all told to stand around this cannon. And I said, no, no, Phil, no, come on, <laughs> Ken, what? Out of here. He said, what do you mean? I said, cynic me, follow me. And there was some steps leading up to the next deck above in the picture. You know, so I said, well, watch from up there. <laughs> and, you know, it's quite the right thing to do because this cannon whizzed past and knocked this kid over. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was screaming his head off. We didn't like him. It was great. Um, he was. There was a kid on it who was. He was. Oh, he was awful. You know, you do get people you work with in any walk of life. Yeah. There's people you don't want to be there with. You know, you're just hoping that they will have a nasty accident. And there was this young lad. He he was. He can't have been more than about twelve. And he would play yeah. one of the midshipmen, and, and he was he was loathed. And it, we kept the film a bit where he was killed in the storyline. And he gets blown up and splattered, and and he did he did this take, and the director said, yeah, okay, that's 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 cut. We'll have that one. Thank you very much. And everybody cheered. Yeah, because <laughs> this little bastard wasn't coming back on the show again. And he stood up and took a bow. He thought, <laughs> they thought we were applauding his performance. <laughs> that is on it is on DVD, but not in this country because my brother-in-law found it in the states. Oh. He found it in, a, in some DVD shop in Michigan, and he remembered the series, but didn't know that I was in it. And he remembered seeing oh, it wow. and loved it, so he bought it. And he, my sister rang me up and she said, "We're at Mum's. Uh, oh, yeah, she said, we're watching. Um, I remember Nelson. Um, Mike bought it in the states. Oh, great, lovely. She said, we just watched the bit where you get killed. He said, Mike's sitting there crying his eyes out. I said, really? Oh dear. She said, yeah, my mum's laughing her head off. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the, the funny thing, because as an actor, if you've got something on the telly, you want people to see your work, so you get more work. Yeah, you know, yeah. You, know, you, you want everybody to know what you're capable of. So you write round all the casting directors and, and anybody else you know, so that they can sit and you tell them you're on the telly and you're doing this and it'll be on at such and such time. So, which is what we did. All of us would have done that. 90 minutes before they were showing that episode, they cut it. Just oh, stopped it because of a Falklands. It was the Falklands War, and it, the news came up that HMS Sheffield had just been bombed. Mm. The the XSEC missile blew it up. You, you're not going to show a TV program where there's lots of sailors mutilated. Mm. You know, I end up turning to camera with my with um, loads of shrapnel in my belly. The, in fact, the makeup ladies would do. They had a stunt man on this who had lost a leg at the knee right. in, a, in a riding accident, and they made up his leg the stump of his leg to look like he'd just been blown off mm. um, with a little fake leg at the side of him. The makeup ladies had these Red Cross books that with loads of photographs, sickening photographs of, of, of some dreadful injuries that they were really getting into and trying to reproduce all these injuries. So you're not going to have that on the telly no. after a national disaster like that. So they cut it and it wasn't shown, that final episode wasn't shown for another two years. No, mm. it's, it's, it's of its time. The, the, the filming, of the video at the time, you, you know, mm. has, a lot of it hasn't stood the test of time, has it? Um, it's a cool okay. tracking shot as all the cannons are firing. That's yeah. pretty cool. You know, it goes on yeah. for quite a while. You see the, the size of the set. It was very, very special, actually. Um, we did enjoy it a lot. And they, uh, what got me was as well was all the technology that you have in studios was that they, 
in order to give an idea of when, when you're inside that ship of the light, sunlight reflecting off water in through the portholes and mm. things, you think they'd have something, some lantern. That, well, you do now. You've got lanterns that will do that. We've got them in our studio. But then what they did was they covered the whole length of the, now Imagine the length of the victory, <laughs> right? The whole floor was covered with crinkled up baco foil, <laughs> tin foil across the whole of this floor. And they got this baton hanging down full of big lanterns and they swayed it. Wow. Just, it was just swinging across. <laughs> so you had all these different reflections <laughs> coming in. It was so Mickey Mouse. You know. It was real Heath Robinson. Um, but it worked. You yeah, know, it was yeah. fantastic. Well, a few yeah. a few years later, I mean, you were quite established on television by this point. You've done your guest role in The Bill. How much on your radar was The Bill? Like when you did the first episode, your guest part as a protester, had you seen any of the first serial? Did you have much time to watch television? You know, you were well, plenty of time to watch television. <laughs> you know, it seems like I did a lot, but I didn't really spread over many years. So there's a lot, long, long periods of unemployment, mm. um, which is, you know, par for the course with, with, with acting, unless you're very lucky, as we know. Um, I didn't know anything about the bill when I did the first episode in it, and I never really used to watch the, the things I was in. I'd, I'd watch them. I'd certainly watch them when I was in them. Yeah. Now, when we did Menace Unseen, I used to be invited to the rushes in the evening, and I used to sit there giggling, which of course is a sign of fear or embarrassment. I would, I would just like giggling at myself, and it took me a long time to realise that you shouldn't be watching yourself. You should be watching as an audience watches, so you've got to watch the character mm. and, and what you've tried to achieve as that character. And it took me a while to learn that. And then I could look at things and be critical if need be or, or just think, yeah, that, that worked. I'd like to mm. that. And I did a, an episode of Keeping Up Appearances. Which I've seen. I, I, love, I love that series. Yeah, yeah. And, and I also did... Um, you know, it was, that was just a cough and spit, but it was it was interesting meeting those people who've yeah. been in that a long, long time. But also really, really interesting was, was Waiting for God. Mm. And that I learned a lot. Stephanie Cole was a consummate professional. So together, so intelligent, so knowledgeable about the business. She effectively just ran everything, really. Mm. I mean, she just, in an in a extremely nice way. And when I walked into rehearsal rooms and in South Kensington she she was there welcoming me she made me a cup of tea she wow. we talked about the series she, it was as if this whole thing was her show uh, that she put all the money into it and everything it was her baby but, uh, but it was just so lovely and to see that the this professional way she worked and she even used to do it because it was live filming we used to, we used to film the scenes live and I had this one very complicated scene in it it was it was a real Marx Brothers type dialogue yeah. that was you could get lost in if you weren't careful uh, it was me and Graham Crowden, and um, and then she yet joins in the scene. And I'm playing a, a policeman, of course. <laughs> yes. With, if I remember rightly, it was Debbie Finley, who who was Frank Finley's daughter, who was also there playing a policewoman. And um, and we got lost in the middle of it. We, we, something went wrong. I knew something had gone wrong. And um, and the director went, no, nope, just carry on, carry on, carry on. I thought, it can't work. We've cocked it up. It can't work. Live audience, all that. When, when, hey, when I saw it, it was perfect. What they'd done, I had no idea. And she was great in, in that she took me aside at one point because I'm trying to play this scene straight. Yes. And I'm trying to play this scene with a southern accent, not my usual northern. And she just said, look, 
what are you trying to do? And I said, well, it's TV. You don't want to be doing, you know, big comic acting, any of that. So she said, look, just do the big comic acting. Just pretend you're on the stage. What's your accent? I said, uh, Yorkshire. Right, do the Yorkshire. Do a thick Yorkshire accent. Do it like you're playing comedy. But forget what you know right. or what you think you know. And so I did it and it was wrong. It was all wrong. It felt wrong. It was dreadful. But when you see the scenes, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's dead right. She, she, she just knows. <laughs> she just consummate professional. And I'd love, love working with people like that. Yeah. You know, you learn. Tim Pickett Smith was like that. Tim, we, we did this big series called Fame is the Spur, the BBC. And six months working on that. And he was, look, that's your key light over there. Just watch. Okay, come in the turn. He just was so helpful and mm. good. Larry Dan, yeah. Bill. And I was in the bill when, when I went in, you know, and I've not been in for three months, six months, whatever. I always rated, though, not, this is not necessarily fair on, on, on a lot of people, but those people who remembered me, who, even if it was just vague, they might not remember my name, but there were certain guys there who remembered me, they knew what we'd done before, they remember working, how are you, very welcoming. Mm. Um, Roger Leach, bless him, was, mm. was Right from the very beginning, Roger, Roger was like that. Larry, later on when I worked with Larry, always like that. You know, Eric, great, Trudy, fantastic. Mm. And they were always the people. And um, Colin, Colin, bless him. God, Colin, last time I saw Colin, he was doing uh, railway children in mm. York. Yeah. At the museum there. And I took my boy to see it. And um, at the interval, everybody was outside. The actors were outside in the sun and everything. And I just waved it. He went, nasty! Now, how the hell do you remember me from, from Adam when I came in so infrequently? But he was just that sort of guy. I mean, really professional, lovely to work with. And yet there were those on the show who, you know, and, and this happens to people. And I'm not, again, I'm not, this is a generalized comment. I'm not going to be yeah. specific. But sure. if you're working in, in, a, in a series like that and, and you're on the telly twice a week and people know your face, you get a lot of attention. Mm. Some of it, as I said earlier, you know, yeah, is unwarranted. Yeah. A lot of it is unwarranted. People think they can talk to you any way they want. Some people are ridiculous in the, the starstruck way they behave towards you, and you have mm. to be, you have to learn to, to live with that and deal with it. But it should never affect your work. And for some people, it, it, it did. On, mm. Not on this show, on all shows, on all long-running shows, and, and they can be difficult to work with. You know, there's one one action in particular on it. It was long running in it. Sharon main necklace, but he he would never know his lines. He would make you look a fool. He'd try and blame you if anything went wrong. And everybody knew what he was playing. Yeah? Mm. There was another long running actor in it who would always try and steal the scene. And I saw a few rows there from guest actors who knew exactly what he was doing. Mm. That he'd, he'd change a position. He'd manipulate a line. He'd whatever in order to to give him a a profile in the shot that wasn't his or whatever. Mm. And you're going to get that in any business. You're going to get that that kind of behavior, if you like. But, of course, what makes up for it is those people who are just so good at what they do. Yeah. That they're, they're professional and you learn from them and and they give you they give you something. Mm. You know, and the, the guys who I've just mentioned, when I worked with them, they gave yeah. all the time. And that, that's what a good actor is. It's not, not the one who, who takes all the time and is mm. selfish. Um, but as I say, it's not just acting business, you, you get that in any, any no. business. I do hope you're enjoying this rare interview with Steve Morley. 
Next time in part two, we do something a little different for the podcast. You'll get to hear Steve's live reactions to watching scenes from some of his Verbill episodes for the first time since broadcast. I also asked Steve some questions from a couple of long-term podcast supporters, Sarah and Karen. So stay tuned and see you soon. Thank you.